mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Let's thank God for the wisdom that he throws us through scripture. going to read that part of the verse again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now let's ask God to give us the wisdom of heaven and all its fruits, rather than the shallow wisdom of earth. God, thank you for bringing us together this Sunday afternoon, and thank you for making the truths of your character and your love for us made known through your word. Help us to seek out that wisdom uh, that comes from you and that comes from scripture each and every day. Um, help us to look for opportunities to do humble deeds of good and not to boast in them, uh, but to thank in you our ability those things. I pray that our time together today will, um, will be blessed with your love and your spirit and that you will speak through um, 
I know what ethic is. And just make your wisdom known. Amen. As we've now joined each other in prayer, let's continue in the spirit of worship by joining together in singing praises to the Lord. I invite you to head back to your seats and join us as we sing. Good afternoon, Reconciliation. If you could just follow the words on the screen here to my right and your left. This is a new song, so if you can figure it out, then you can sing along with us.
It is at this time that we have the privilege to confess our sins together as one people. It is a privilege because we have been given the promise that God hears our prayers and is faithful to respond to them. Our call to confession today is from Leviticus 19.15. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Please join me as we read this corporate confession out loud together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, and deeper than all our sins. Forgive our careless attitudes toward the rich and the poor. Forgive us for our refusal to provide for these needed suffering and those in need. Forgive us when we inadvertently Let's take some time to silently confess our personal sins. Friends, look up and receive this assurance of pardon from Psalm 86, verses 1 through 10. Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, because I appeal to you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cries for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me, Lord. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. As we have been assured that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, if we have confessed to him and trusted in him for salvation, let's stand together again to sing praises to him.
5 and 8. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are just not idle words. But the truth is, Lord, for those of us who are here, you have made us sons and daughters. Not because we have been so good, but you have been good to us. You have rescued us. Lord, I'm thinking about the fact that you have left us here to extend your work in the earth. There are so many people around us, Lord God, who are lost, who need their eyes opened. And you don't need us at all, but you choose to use us to speak truth, share the gospel with those that we come in contact with so that they would come to know you. So, Lord, continue to use us. The fact that we have not been brought to you yet shows that you are still patient, wanting others to come to repentance. So, Father, as we are here getting ready to come before you in your word, Lord, open our eyes, make our hearts sensitive to not only hear, but to obey what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, I have said this to most of you. I've greeted good morning, but it's not morning. Good afternoon. It's great to see all of you here. And I would also say um, to the visitors, welcome. And to our brothers and sisters at CTK, welcome uh, for coming to worship with us. Um, I, was, I, I, was, I was sharing earlier, and I know this is just not our normal time, 4 p.m., to, to, to worship, right? But... God can be worshipped at any time. And if you go around the world, like, we worship late here. People around the world in, in the East, they have worshipped hours ago. You know what I mean? But we, we still worship, but the truth is, no matter the time, we just come together as a family, the family of God, to worship King Jesus. So if you would, you can meet me in James chapter 2. Verses 1 to 13, use your electronic device, or if you still have an old school Bible, you can meet me in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And while you're turning there, I just want to point your attention to this is also the space where I let people know that they could give, right? And each Sunday, I mention giving because not that we just want your money or we have all of these programs, but giving is just a, a, a small way that we acknowledge the Lord, you are the ultimate giver. You are the one who ultimately gives, right? And, and we can't hoard the things that we have. But God, his instrument in the world to reach the world is the local church, right? And so we, we, we just call on you to, to, to consider giving the reconciliation. You can go online or we have blue boxes, one right outside or one at the welcome table where you can physically give in person if you'd like. Because mo many of you are here are visitors, I hope, uh, I don't know if you've used your QR code if you want to um, look at the worship guide, but there, there should be a connect card around you somewhere with the QR code on it. If you're visiting with us and would like to be, would like for us to have the information, please fill out a connect card. Um, and if you want to, to, to have the worship guide in front of you, you can scan that QR code and have it. Last announcement. Um, 
for reconciliation people and for those of you who are visiting who want to come and take part. This, sat this Saturday is going down. We have a family game night. I, I don't even know what it's going to be. You got to talk to Bapo about that. I just don't know. I know I'm going to be here. Um, but it's going to be a time for us to, to um, if we say that we're family, which we do, but we don't create space for you to get to know me or for me to get to know you, then we're not. And this is just an opportunity for us to, to be family. So, and I heard there may be some, 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 some money on the line, All right? And so if that's enough to just get you out, come on. But it's not about the money. I'm just looking forward to all of us being together on Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. right here at Nightdale United Methodist. Now let's turn our attention to God's word. In James chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 13, reading from the CSB version. James writes, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord has granted my wife and I to be in our 22nd year of marriage. Praise him. I need 50 more. But each year, we celebrate that moment. We make sure that we pull out, or not just pull out, but we want to gift one another with something that says, I love you, right? Maybe set out, and, and I, I can't cook, so we got to go out to eat. But maybe there's an exquisite dinner that we could have with one another. But we just, I just want to mark that moment from my perspective to say you matter. But what if I only do that one time a year? That I just... I don't communicate with my wife for the rest of the year. I don't make sure that we go eat anything 
I just wait for that day, November the 6th, to celebrate the fact that we have been married. My wife would have none of it. Absolutely none of it. Any woman who, who is married or any person who is married would gladly take, don't worry about celebrating me on the anniversary, give me the other 364 days of the year. Have some regular rhythms. Let's conversate. Let's talk with one another. Like, don't, 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 you don't have to do a Ruth's Chris dinner. If you just do some McDonald's, but it's intentional, I would take that and regular conversation over you saying nothing to me and then celebrating me one day out of the year. I believe that there may be Christians in our world, and hopefully, I hope that it's none of us, but think about it. That many of us, we, we, we may want to do one big thing for God a year and do nothing else. And then we seek the Lord in prayer and say, God, you remember what I did July the 16th for you? Like I killed it. I know when I did that for you, Lord, the angels in heaven were rejoicing because I did that for you. However, at the judgment seat of Christ, God is not going to ask us to explain what we did on that one day. God cares about us being faithful to him every day. He is not concerned about occasional biggies. The question is, will you and I be faithful to him? Will we be faithful Every day of our lives, knowing that we're going to fall, but I'm falling forward. God, I want to honor you with my life on the seemingly mundane days. Because we're all made in the image of God. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now are called to further his plans in the earth. We represent him on earth, not just one day of the year, but every day. That, we, that God gives us. In Christ, you and I are a part of the kingdom of God. I don't know how often you think of that or how often, sometimes I'm, 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 I correct myself because I don't think about it as often as I should, but I am a kingdom citizen. You and I, we are sons and daughters of the king and co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, we belong to him and we are kingdom citizens. And as his citizens, there is a certain way that you and I ought to live in the earth. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. As image bearers, Adam and Eve were given the task to steward creation. And God gave them a mandate. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? You need to do something in the earth, and you need to make the rest of the earth look like Eden. They didn't have to fill and subdue Eden. Eden was already a perfect place. But the rest of the world make it look like Eden. They had a job, and there was a way that they were supposed to live in light of being a son and a daughter of God, created by God, to make the earth look like the way that he wanted it to look. Friends, and for those of you who are visiting, we're in our second week of a new series called Doing Good, where we are looking at our value of empowerment. 
Now to catch you visitors up, starting in the fall, we looked at our first value of gospel. Gospel. We don't need any other value. I've mentioned this to you before. As a pastor, I'm a one-trick pony. I don't have a whole bunch of different ideas to talk about. All I need to talk about is the gospel and its implications. So our first value is that of gospel. And the aim of that value is that those who call reconciliation home would have gospel fluency. That every person would be able to share the gospel. The next value we went over starting in January is this value of disciple making. Disciple making. We have been commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations. And the aim of that value for our people is that we would be committed to spiritual reproduction. That each and every one of us would invest our life into someone else who would see them go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and they would, com and they would repeat the process. And our last value is that of empowerment. Look on the screen with me. This is what we said about what it means to empower. We said to empower means that we build relationships and give of ourselves to see people flourish. We help a person take a step that they couldn't take on their own. We don't view people as nobodies. We see them as somebodies because they are made in the image of God. Now, our aim for empowerment is human flourishing. We believe that every human, because they're made in the image of God, has the opportunity to flourish. And how do we step into that? Now, in this letter that we're looking at in James, James wrote his words to Jewish Christians. James, this is the brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph, a carpenter, who is also known as James the Just. He addressed the people in chapter here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. He addressed the pride of the rich and the persecution of the poor by the rich. You see, in James's time, the rich in Judea and all over the Roman Empire were oppressing the poor. Even within the church, there is the temptation to cater to the rich while looking down on the poor or those who have limited resources. So here is the main point I want to bring out from this, these verses. Look at it on the screen with me. Our main point is this. It is immoral to cater to the rich at the expense of the poor. It is immoral to cater to the rich at the expense of the poor. Again, we live in a society that does not mind stepping on the neck of someone else so that we can be elevated. And often the person's neck that we're stepping on is someone that can't fight us back. Not talking about physically, but someone that can't even rally any resources to keep our foot off of their neck. Therefore, it's immoral. And so as we empower, we empower those and move towards anyone who has a need because they too are image bearers. I want you to continue to hear me talk about what does it mean to, to bear God's image, to be made in his image. Our actions must conform to our profession of faith. When we cater to someone because they are rich, especially at the expense of the poor, God hates it. He hates it. 
And we don't, we need to look both, not just outside of the church, but also inside as well. And I, I thought about this, it's not even in my notes, but I don't know, have you ever been in the church, and no knock on this church, or any church, but there's certain seats that you can't sit in. Because the name of someone wealthy bought that seat. You can't sit there. You can't come into the space and sit in that chair because someone who had the resources bought that chair. Stay out of this. You go somewhere else and sit. That's not for you. Again, I'm just pointing out that even within the church, there can be distinctions and hierarchy. We notice it out there, but we think that the church is immune from it. But James is showing us that the church is not. So in these verses, I have only two points, sub-points, that I want to extract from these verses. On the screen, our first point says this, from verses 1 to 4, showing favoritism is inconsistent with the gospel. Showing favoritism is inconsistent with the gospel. And lastly, in verses 5 to 10, Christians are called to obedience. What is that obedience? To love. We're called to obedience as followers of Christ, and that is to love. So I want to examine in these verses what it means to image God. So let's look at our first point. Showing favoritism is inconsistent with the gospel. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 again. Uh, James says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James begins verse 1 by referring to the people he's writing to as my brothers and sisters. James is writing to Christians, specifically Jewish Christians. He tells them, he even, it's, this is a command, not to show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, those who call on the Lord Jesus are not to be prejudiced or show favoritism or partiality to one group or one person over another. Why? Because God is not a respecter of persons. He is not partial to someone because they are Jewish, because they are male, because they are female, because they are rich or poor. Often throughout scripture you would read that it says God is no respecter of persons. However, we tend to associate divine blessing with riches and wealth. The disciples did this. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 19, look at it on the screen with me, starting in verse 23, Jesus says, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So when the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and they asked Jesus, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, 
all things are possible. If we look at the totality of scripture, Jesus is not saying that a wealthy person cannot be a part of the kingdom, but they may by God's mercy enter in by doing what? By giving of their resources to those who are destitute. To see that, all we have to do is go back and read Leviticus 19 and many other scriptures where God tells those who has, have resources that the reason you have these resources is to be a blessing to the person who does not have resources. There is a call for the people of God to give of their abundance to those who are lacking. So in these verses, verses 1 to 4, uh, James has given us an illustration. He has given us an illustration because he believed that the poor, that they have a very important role and a very important place in the church because of the gospel. Inside of the church, there is no place for distinctions. Paul would say it this way in Galatians 3.28. Look at it with me. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ. Notice that. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, two polar opposites of people, slave or free. That word slavery in America carries heavy weight. But it, and it's not the same there, but you have someone who is in some sort of servitude and bondage and one who is free. He also says male and female. People who are maybe have some distinctions inside of the church, Paul says you are all one in Christ. There is unity in the body of Christ. There is unity. James says if one sees a wealthy person and a poor person coming to the church, we must not cater to the wealthy. We must not do it. And then James points out that you were able to tell a wealthy person because of what they had on and a poor person because of what they had on. In our modern day, it's like a person coming in with a pair of Gucci boots and, and Prada and all of those things while someone comes in here with tattered clothes. We will be able to know off the top who is who. I believe in our day, we too look at people and try in our minds to determine how, how many resources do you have. I, maybe you don't do it. I know I have, right? And when you see someone come in, you, 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 you try to look at what they have on. Now, you may not do this consciously, but we are people watchers. Y'all Ain't nobody going to join me in that? We are people watchers, right? We'll look you up and down to see, ah, okay, your shoes, all right. We see them drive, but we see what kind of car you drive. Oh, oh, okay, you know. And if we had the opportunity to go to someone's house, we are pulling up on the house and started like, oh, oh, that's nice. We, we, then we hear about what, what, where the kids go to school. Ah, yeah, you must have some resources, right? In other words, we, we, we're looking at a person and trying to determine how much, how much money they got in the bank account, right? Because if they're wealthy, then we start changing the way that we act around a wealthy person. Have you ever seen someone do this? 
They get around someone wealthy. Oh, they hold light. Oh, man, they, they, they want to butter up to this person now. They want to get in close because they want a favor or they want that person to help them with something. And again, I'm being general here, right? But we tend to act differently when we're around someone that has wealth. All we got to do is just look at it in our modern day when you got someone like a LeBron James come in. Everybody's going to start acting different then, right? Uh, back in the day, it was Michael Jackson. I know I may have lost a few people who may not be when Mike go in and just the people passing out, right, because it's Mike. But we, we, we can act different around people with, with resources. And then when we know a person is poor, we don't act the same way. We sort of reject them. We don't even want to be around them, right? We're making distinctions. And we even do this within the church. The text would say in verse 4 uh, that the people, there was this, this, this opportunity or this, 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 this issue where someone could say, sit here on the floor by my footstool. But if someone sits on the floor by one's footstool, this would be to subject and reduce someone under another's power. People in the church are not to be someone's conquered subject. If someone is poor and another is rich, both are treated equally. Why? Because Jesus died for both. Jesus died for both. There is no hierarchy in the church among the people of God. The poor person in the church is not the wealthy person's flunky. The gospel, I love it, uh, the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Everyone is welcome. The gospel is for whosoever will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that on the cross, as Jesus is spread out, totally exposed, not like our iconography that we have that has a towel or a cloth over his, his waist. He's totally exposed, and he has in mind both the wealthiest person and the poorest person because everyone needs their sins cleansed by his blood. When you, many of us may work for or have worked for companies, even within churches that have uh, uh, big buildings and offices, there's something that connects these companies and these church work environments. It's a network, right? It's a network, and these networks work together. They only function because of its servers. These servers, they communicate with each other within an organization, within a church, so that everyone would be on the same page. There would be unity. Friends, God wants a network campus of hearts who love him and love one another because they are connected. People who are willing to give of themselves because they have received the manifold grace of God. It doesn't matter if a person is rich or poor. Because the truth is, a poor person looks at Jesus and realizes that I don't measure up. A wealthy person can't open their bank account and say, Jesus, I'm coming stacked. A, a wealthy person can come and say, my money means nothing. I'm just like the poor person. 
I need Jesus too. We must never show favoritism to certain people in the body of Christ just because they are wealthy. And uh, the other side of that is true too. We must not reject the wealthy on the side of the poor and think that the wealthy have no value. See, in our day of big budgets, right, I've heard of churches that have massive budgets, right? And I'm not knocking them, but big budgets. So when a wealthy person comes in, ah, we got a chance to make budget this year. Let me take him out to lunch. Let me take her out to lunch. Let's go to dinner because we got about a $100,000 shortfall. Would you be willing to fill in that gap? Again, you see how easy it is for us to just look at a wealthy person and to place them in. And I know wealthy people probably get tired of that because they only become a bank that someone wants to push a button and out comes these resources. But we can't treat the wealthy better than we do. A poor person, James, is showing us because for both the poor person and the wealthy person, their source is God. God is the source. The Bible says in the Psalms that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. And a wealthy person only has the wealth that they have because God has opened his hands and given to that wealthy person, to that person, so that they would be a conduit of blessing to others. But when we look at the poor, we must see that they have value in the body of Christ. Scripture lets us know that God is very near to the poor. He, dare I say, even favors the poor. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he said, Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Friends, uh, favoritism is inconsistent with the gospel. Treating people impartially is one way that we image God. Again, talking about being made in the image of God. So how do we image God? How do we look like God? One way we do it is by being impartial to people, not showing favoritism, treating everyone equally. Uh, I love what Jesus would say in praying, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So finally, And uh, second point, Christians are called to obedience, which is to love. I'm going to read verses 5 to 10. James says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. James says that God chose the poor in this world to be rich in faith. He cares about how they are treated. Look at what God's word says in Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 9. Here Moses writes, he says, be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and you are stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. 
he will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty, gifting him, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. All over scripture, we see God's heart is for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. God is very near to those who are on the fringes and are marginalized. But if we show favoritism towards anyone, we are not on God's side. He chose the poor. That's what the text says, this word chose. Here we see the doctrine of election. Now, uh, if you're not from a reformed background and wonder, what is that, the doctrine of election? Election is the term used in theological discourse to refer to the idea that God chooses people or individuals to belong to him in a unique way. He chooses not because of anything specific, but he chooses whom he will. The text says he chooses the poor. The Israelites saw themselves as God's elect. And for them, uh, some pride set in and they started doing some funky stuff. And God had to, in, in a ways, reject them. But they are still, and you will still see this language that they are God's chosen, right? Because of his promise to Abraham. But also those within the church are God's chosen. This choosing has nothing to do with pedigree, status, skin color, or wealth. None of us can go to God and say, God, I'm glad you chose me. Remember that story in scripture where uh, it was this Pharisee beating his chest saying, God, I'm glad I'm not like him, right? And that other man, that tax collector over there just couldn't even look up, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can't go to God beating our chest like, man, look at me, I got juice. Look at me, I, I got it all. Like, he got to choose me. Man, God don't need any one of us. He does not need us. And if we have anything in our hearts that said God needs us, we need to repent right now because he doesn't need us. God chooses whom he wills. I love what Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Look at it with me. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, when it comes to the poor, the world sees their poverty and their lack. But for those in Christ, God sees their exalted state because of his election of them. The poor friends are the recipients of the grace and promises of God. Stay with me because I'm going to get to talk about this obedience and what it means to love. James goes on to show that instead of honoring the poor, those he wrote to, they dishonored the poor. Dishonored the poor and favored the rich. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Brian Stevenson, in his book Just Mercy, stated this. says, we have a system of justice that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. See, when we oppress the poor, the text says, James says, we blaspheme the name, the good name. The good name that was invoked over them is the name of Jesus, the same name that was invoked over you and I. But what is the answer to treating the poor in a way that honors God? The text says, love. Love. 
See, if we oppress and discriminate against the poor, this violates the law of love. We must not violate this law, but we must fulfill this law. We are called to obey loving God and loving our neighbor. The text calls this the royal law. We image God by how we love our neighbor. As we close in verses 12 and 13, we can't leave those verses out. In those two verses, we have the motivation for loving the poor. What is that motivation? It is final judgment. Friend, I know we don't think about this often, but Jesus is coming back. We, we, we think about him coming back, but we don't think about the fact that he's coming back to judge. First time he came, he didn't come to judge, he said. But he's coming back. Lord, come quickly. But when he comes back, he's going to separate. The Bible says sheep from goats. The sheep are his. Goats is judgment time. We don't like to think about God as a God of judgment. Oh, Jesus, oh, I just want to serve the God of love. Right, God is a God of love, but you can't take one without the other. If we want the God of love, we also must understand that God, because he loves so, he must hate anything that's opposed to him. And he's coming to judge that. The text says, uh, James gives them, he says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Why? He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Ah, I love what you have here. It says, speak and act, or word and deed. Many of us love to speak the right thing, but our actions don't follow. James connects them both. It encompasses all of the actions of who we are as people. Therefore, we speak and act in a way showing that we love our neighbor because Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but I love what Peter would say in his letter to his people. He says, God is not slow concerning his promise as some count slowness, but is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The fact that Jesus has not come back today is because he is still saving. He is still saving. Now, he may take us out of here before he comes back, but the fact is Jesus continue to save. Use us, word and deed, speaking truth, loving our neighbor. I'm willing to bet that if we robustly love, that he might draw, he would draw people to himself based on how we love them. Jesus was saying, John, that this is how they would know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. See, if someone is unmerciful to the poor, God is going to be unmerciful to them, the text says. Being merciful also shows that we are image bearers. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If a person will not show mercy to the poor or the oppressed, they should not expect mercy at the final judgment. However, because we love our neighbor, 
and the poor person is our neighbor. That lady that sits on the corner by the Walmart in southeast Raleigh asking for money, that's my neighbor. That is my neighbor. The family or the group of people off of I-540 living in the woods, they are my neighbor. How do I show them love? When we are willing to show mercy to them, God is going to be merciful to us. Many of us, dare I say, love ice cream. Now, you can add whatever flavor you want there. But, you know, we, we, we love some ice cream. And I think one of the, one of the best inventions that, was, that, 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 that anyone created was to, to make a machine that can make your ice cream soft. You know what I'm talking about? You go to McDonald's, right? You go, I don't, they've been having trouble with their ice cream machines, haven't they? But you go there and you just, you know, you pull that level, that ice cream come out smooth, right? You ain't fighting with it. You know, it's, it's, it's coming down into your cone. Somebody figured out how to make it soft. And with this one, it doesn't take effort, right? But we know what it's like to take effort. You get that gallon of ice cream and you put it in your freezer at home and it's been and you forgot it there. Oh, I want some ice cream. You pull it out. You need to lift some weight. <laughs> because you get your scooper and you're trying to get it out and you're working with that thing and you don't work for like 30 minutes and you got about that much out and you're frustrated. You're frustrated, right? So somebody created a machine that would make it soft. But there is another way to make ice cream soft. You take the ice cream from your freezer, set it on your counter. Leave it there for a little while. The atmosphere in that room is going to impact that ice cream. You come back in a few minutes, what was once hard, now it's easy. You're scoping just as much as you want in your bowl and blessing the Lord because you have a good amount of ice cream. Friend, I think the reason why so many Christians are cold and callous, evil and unloving to others, especially the poor, is because they're in the wrong atmosphere. They're in the wrong atmosphere. We need to be in the atmosphere of the Lord Jesus Christ. And where is the best place for that atmosphere? At the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, I can't come with a hard heart because I don't deserve his grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, we have been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. The fact that I've been saved by grace freely in the atmosphere, now I can look at my neighbor, poor, destitute, marginalized, and have love for them. But not just have this goose pimply love that we have in our day, but a love that makes me act on their behalf. This is what it means to empower. We stepping into those spaces. And we don't do something that Jesus hadn't done. What does his empowerment look like? One who had angels worshiping him, Philippians 2 says, came to earth, came into this atmosphere. God brought his atmosphere to us, and he walked among us. But not just walked among us, he died for us. 
So I hope when, when, when you look at the crucifixion, especially as we come to the, the Easter season, or dare I say, because I don't know what Easter is, I know what Resurrection Sunday is. Not, nothing against Easter, y'all, so don't nobody go home and say, man, Pastor Russell don't even like Easter. <laughs> but when I look at that day, Jesus on the cross, I try to make it personal. He died for me. He died for me. Because he died for me, I can love my neighbor. So friends, I pray that we would regularly be in the atmosphere of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where our hearts would not be hard like that, that, that freezer ice cream. But it would be softened. So that we could love our neighbor and be merciful to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are merciful to us. That you didn't wait for us to get our act together. But you initiated on our behalf. And so, Lord God, you've called us to be merciful. You've called us to love. And you also show us in your word that we are not to treat people as favorites. We are not to show favoritism to anyone. The way the text says, especially those who are wealthy over the poor. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. That means all are welcome. Lord, may we May we live in a way, even for today, with the hours that's left in our day, I pray that we would exude love, that when people are around us, that they would sniff the aroma of Jesus on us because of how we love. Thank you, Lord. We do bless you in Christ's name. Amen. We want to spend this time responding to what God has said in his word right now in two ways number one we are going to sing we'll continue to sing but also we want to look at the Lord's Supper so if you are here today and you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ I ask that you not partake of communion at this time. Not because I don't want you to. Oh, I want you to. But again, as I often like to let our people know, your goal for each Sunday is not to come and trust and, and take communion if you're not in Christ. Your goal is to trust Jesus. It's to trust him. And now in him, you get to do something that points to remembering him, and that's in communion. And so, friends, I want to remind us of the words that Paul would give in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He, he gave thanks and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we part, get ready to partake, we're doing this in remembrance of him. But he, he, Paul also said, 
that in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me then Paul says to them for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes so friends under your seat are prepackaged elements now is our time to partake of those elements, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ, his body broken, and his blood shed. Let's eat together. We're
salvation. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. All we have to do is wait on him and put our trust in him.